a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. From CGTN headquarters here in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Michael Wong. The headlines we're tracking at this hour. China's benchmark five-year lending rate is lowered by the most on record. We'll discuss the implications for the economy and the country's property sector. China's top securities regulator holds symposiums to gather public opinion on the high-quality development of the country's capital markets. And we take you to Singapore for a look at Asia's largest air show, where China's first domestically produced large passenger jet, the C919, inks in order for 40 units. And we begin with China's monetary policy, where the country's central bank is making efforts to boost recovery of the domestic property market. China's five-year loan prime rate, or the LPR, that's a market-based benchmark lending rate, was cut by 25 basis points to 3.95 percent from a previous reading of 4.2 percent. Meanwhile, the one-year LPR, that remained unchanged at 3.45 percent. Analysts say the LPR rate cut will help lower credit financing costs and further reduce the cost of buying a house, boost property market demand, and raise market confidence in the country's economic recovery. Take a listen. This adjustment of five-year LPR helps cut mortgaging costs, and borrowers will now pay less interest on their loans. The policy is being rolled out at the beginning of the year, which is important timing for decision-making. It will offer a positive foundation for efforts to stabilize growth throughout the year. Well, the lower five-year lending rate is the latest in a series of moves by China to support the economy. In January, the People's Bank of China lowered the amount of cash that commercial banks need to hold as reserves at the central bank. The required reserve ratio was lowered by a more than expected 50 basis points. China's central bank said the move provides the market with around 1 trillion yuan, or over 140 billion U.S. dollars, of long-term liquidity. Well, for more on China's benchmark lending rates and monetary policy, I want to bring in Dr. Bruce Peng, who is chief economist and head of research at JLL Greater China. Uh, Dr. Peng, thank you for joining us on the program. So going back to 2019, the five-year and the longer uh, LPR, of course, which mortgages are priced off of, that was cut by 5 to 15 basis points each time. Now we see this 25 basis point cut, more than the markets expected, the largest on record, how do you interpret this move? Well, I would say the lower rates for borrowers are wholly unexpected. Uh, uh, I would call today's big cut to China's benchmark reference rate for mortgage reasonably and not surprising. The move is not implying a more reflectionary monetary policy on the ways, but uh, a moderate policy stance with a flexibility and targeted support to the economy. And uh, the rates cuts comes earlier and larger than expected. But if you compare the recent LPR with that in August 2019, during the past four and a half years, one-year LPR sees an accumulated cut of around 80 bips, while the five-year mortgage rates have seen lower by around 65 bips. The gap of 15 bips paved the way for today's move of 25 bips cuts in the five-year rates. So the cuts takes the five-year rate to a record load, and this is the fifth round of uh, uh, of the rate reductions of this recent cycle. 
Right. So like you mentioned, China is aiming for a flexible and targeted monetary policy. The prudent stance, that hasn't changed as well. Most loans, uh, Dr. Pang, we know are priced off of the one-year loan prime rate. That rate has remained steady since August of last year. So give us some more insights in terms of why did the one-year LPR remain unchanged while the five-year benchmark lending rate was cut by a record amount? Yeah, the one-year LPR actually can be seen as the anchor of the most new and outstanding loans in China, while the five-years uh, rate actually is used for pricing mortgages. The board-based rate cuts may not be necessarily required at this stage. That's the major message can be read from today's VBOC's move. So lowering five-year LPR will help stabilize the confidence for most investments and consumption and also help support the stable and healthy developments of the real estate markets. Uh, the asymmetric cut can help to strike a balance between capping potential risk and promoting economic recovery with stronger growth momentum and also can help to meet the policy targets of reducing the financing costs for market entities while maintaining the stability of the yuan exchange rates. Mm. So today's uh, 25 business cuts to the five-year LPR is also a pretty clear message of policymakers to uh, to pledge and determinations of supporting the housing markets and the property sector. So then, Dr. Pang, expand on that for us a little bit more in terms of what does this five-year LPR cut, 25 basis points, what does that mean specifically for the property sector? How big of a boost is that for the real estate markets here in China? And also, how big of a boost is that when it comes to economic confidence? Uh, the property sector in China is actually still facing some difficulties and challenges. So the market rate cuts actually represent targeted easing in some senses and will help to stabilize and restore sentiment, confidence and interest of the property market and economy. The monetary policy alone will not and cannot revive new home sales. So the latest cuts on its own will provide uh, maybe limited support and help in driving a revival in housing markets. Say the market rates have already been cut by 200 bips since late 2021, yet housing sales have continued to uh, see some sluggish. But, uh, but to couple with efforts to provide increased credit support to developers, today's cut will help to ease burden of home buyers and also to boost the interest to reduce pressures on developers' cash flows, pave ways for a sustainable uh, 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 recovery of China's economy mm. in total. So many analysts outside of China are calling for bigger stimulus measures. There might have been that larger than expected cut in the five-year LPR. But overall, China's monetary policy remains nuanced, I would say, targeted, like you mentioned, and pretty gradual relative to other central banks. So why do Chinese policymakers believe that this is more appropriate for the Chinese economy, this incremental approach, rather than the larger stimulus measures called for by outside analysts? And actually, if you, uh, from today's move, you can see the bigger picture that the China's policymakers actually remain cautious and prudent to embrace the seasonable and broad-based rate cuts needed to drive an, uh, aggressive accelerations in credit growth and therefore uh, expose the economy to the risk of policy overshoots and a potential imbalance of policy targets. For example, the lack of cuts of the MLF rates and one-year LPR suggests that the central bank actually remain quite concerned about impact that uh, across the board rate cut could have uh, some negative impacts on RMB uh, uh, stability and, and also be some uncertainties of other major economies, uh, macro policies. So um, 
And from the PBOC's latest monetary policy reporting, actually read between lines that uh, the central bank is currently more focused on the fine-tuning the allocation of existing credit than en engineering the fasting growth in new credits. So while monetary policy will continue to offer some momentum for China's uh, recovery and growth, actually the boost to the broad economy will likely to be modest, disciplined and sustainable. All right, Dr. Pang, many thanks for your insights on all of that. Dr. Bruce Pang, Chief Economist and Head of Research at JLL Greater China. Thank you. And still to come here on Global Business. China's top securities regulator holds symposiums to gather public opinion on the high-quality development of the country's capital markets. Hi, this is Li Yunqi with the podcast Deep Dive. Hello, everyone. This is Zhao Ying with World Today. As the Chinese saying goes, Jiao Long De Yun Yu, Zhong Fei Chi Zhong Wu. I wish the year of the Chinese dragon brings you strength, courage, and fiery passion to guide your path in 2024. I wish you Yu Yue Long Men, Da Zhang Hong Tu. May the year of the Chinese dragon bring you strength and a bright future. Hi there, this is Yang Guan with the Sideline Story. As we are sharing the year of the Chinese dragon, allow me to extend to you my best wishes for happiness, cheerfulness, and success. Well, China has called for improving land management to promote high-quality development. A meeting of the Central Commission for Deepening Overall Reform of the CPC Central Committee was held. Chinese President Xi Jinping and the country's top policymakers reviewed and adopted guidelines on reforming land administration, promoting the country's green transition, and boosting innovation. Our Xia Cheng reports. Chinese President Xi Jinping has stressed that land as an important natural resource in economic development should better serve the high-quality development of regions which enjoy competitive strengths. He called for more efforts to optimize the land administration system so it further coordinates with macroeconomic policies and regional development. He says this will improve the efficiency and precision of land utilization. China feeds about 20% of the world's population using less than 10% of the world's arable land, a notable feat. The meeting also stressed the coordination between regional economic layout and utilizing land, understanding the primary and advantageous functions of resources in different regions. It called for improving resource utilization to serve national development accordingly. Xi Jinping also stressed promoting the overall green transition of China's economic and social development. He says this is a fundamental policy to address problems concerning resources, environment, and ecology. President Xi appealed for greater efforts to promote the reduction of carbon emissions and pollution, as China aims to peak carbon emissions by 2030 and reach carbon neutrality by 2060. The meeting says to promote the comprehensive green transition of economic and social development. China must focus on key areas and build green and low-carbon development structures. China should improve fiscal, tax, financial, investment and pricing policies and relevant market-oriented mechanisms to support green and low-carbon transformation. It should provide policy support and institutional guarantees for green transformation. Xi Jinping says China should do more to strengthen the grassroots emergency management to handle disasters and accidents promptly and effectively. 
President Xi called for efforts to accelerate the building of basic systems for comprehensive innovation by closely focusing on the prominent issues that restrict the deep integration of science and technology with the economy. The meeting concluded, saying China should continue to implement reform measures that help expand domestic demand, ensure people's livelihoods, and prevent and diffuse risks. This is another important year of comprehensive reform on the new journey to promote the Chinese modernization. Xia Cheng, CGTN. Well, investors, companies, financial institutions, and scholars have suggested that China's stock market regulators should tighten supervision, especially when it comes to rules on initial public offerings. The advice came from a two-day discussion held by the new leadership of the China Securities Regulatory Commission, or the CSRC, that took office two weeks ago. Now, during the discussion, market players also urged the regulator to delist unqualified companies, help expand the group of professional investors, and attract long-term funding into the stock market. Now, they believe a healthy stock market is built on continued market-oriented reforms and the rule of law. All right, so for more on China's efforts to comprehensively deepen reforms and on the country's capital markets, I want to bring in Professor Zhang Gong from the University of International Business and Economics. Professor, thanks for joining us. So let's start with the meeting on reforms. Chinese President Xi Jinping calling for more efforts to optimize the land system to ensure the high-quality development of regions which enjoy competitive strength. So what might this imply for regional development and efficiency gains? Well, thank you very much for having me, Michael. Um, I think this um, meeting regarding the aspect of land reform has a lot to do with better use of land. Um, I, the, the details haven't come out yet, but I suspect that this has to do with you know more efficiently uh, regulating land usage. I think an overarching uh, theme of the uh, the land management with respect to preservation of arable land. You know, China doesn't have much arable land with its population uh, on a relatively comparison basis. So I think um, on top of this also, you know, the issue of uh, using land for other purposes, for example, for, um, you know, green related agendas as well as uh, uh, food safety. So I think um, you know the, the the issue is becoming more imperative as uh, as you know uh, China's um, uh, external uh, environment is getting uh, more dire and uh, you know say food safety issue is becoming more severe. So I think um, you know this is a, a good meeting that uh, should come up with some more detailed plans with respect to the next moves with respect to the uh, uh, the land reform. Mm. And Professor, the meeting also called for accelerating the formation of what's called fundamental systems that support comprehensive innovation. How strong of a signal is this that China will really accelerate, speed up this deep integration of science and technology with the wider economy? Yeah, I actually read that paragraph very carefully. I think uh, it emphasizes a couple of things. One, of course, is that uh, uh, emphasizes the leadership role um, by the central government, uh, by the uh, by the party, um, and also it also emphasizes um, you know the role of a uh, whole of a nation and what's described as a whole of a nation approach uh, towards innovation. I think China has a track record of using that approach to successfully um, innovate and come up with some you know landmark uh, inventions. Uh, for example, you know China's missile program, satellite programs. Um, uh, uh, nuclear uh, weapon programs, all of these things uh, were achieved pretty much indigenously 
using a whole of nation approach. I think you know this time uh, that paragraph mentions that, and I think uh, this is a uh, you know one of the important and effective. Um, tools for innovation, and I think this is very much of a Chinese characteristic. And I think uh, you know the government says that we shouldn't give it up, and uh, you know still uh, stick to this model, uh, at least partially, uh, to carry on you know this grand agenda of uh, uh, technology competition and innovation. Okay, so that was the meeting on comprehensively deepening reforms. Professor, let's turn to the CSRC symposium. Many detailed measures were proposed by participants, among them calling on China's securities regulator to strictly regulate which companies can seek an IPO by boosting the quality of listed companies. So if related proposals are indeed adopted, how important will this move be in terms of developing a high-quality capital market that China seeks? Yeah, I think this meeting is against the backdrop of the equity market here in China. Uh, hasn't really performed very well over the last few years, particularly I think the last half half a year. Um, you know, the market took a really, really heavy beating you know, before the uh, uh, Spring Festival. Um, and I think the fundamental reason is that um, you know the investors are not seeing uh, the the market overall as a um, a, a wealth creation vehicle, essentially. Um, you know, that this has a lot to do with the investor confidence. And I think this has a lot to do with the uh, um, the previous wave of officials at the, the top regulatory body, the CSRC people. Uh, they've been pretty, you know, arbitrary. I mean, they've been a lot of criticism about, you know, the IPO process. It's very much sub subject to, you know, arbitrary approval, a lot of uh, uh, personal uh, interference, stuff like that. And I think this has to change. We have to institutionalize a process uh, that is fair, uh, that is pro-growth, pro-market, and also, uh, you know, uh, is conducive to uh, creating some great companies as opposed to be just viewing the stock market as sort of an ATM machine for those companies that are lucky enough to be publicly listed. Okay, so this is talking about changing up the capital market structure. Uh, Professor, we're going to leave it there. Many thanks for your time as always. Professor John Gong from the University of International Business and Economics. Thank you. Hey everyone, Jason Smith here, host of The Bridge. Hey guys, this is He Yang with Roundtable. This is Xu Yawen with World Today. May the year of the Chinese dragon bring you a tide of strength, success, and good fortune. May you be great and unstoppable as a dragon soaring through the oceans. And I want to wish you, your families and loved ones, good luck, happiness, and prosperity in the new year. I would like to wish you and may you achieve great success in your endeavors. Happy Chinese New Year! All right, let's head now to Asia's largest air show. That's the Singapore Air Show, where the Commercial Aircraft Corporation of China, or COMAC, took the spotlight with a signing ceremony on the opening day. Our correspondent Miro Liu is on the ground with more. Uh, hi there, Miro. So tell us more about this COMAC deal and highlights from the air show. Hello, Mike. Among the most keenly watched attendees at this year's uh, Singapore Air Show is, as you mentioned, the COMAC. Although they have been exhibiting in previous air shows only with model aircraft, it is the first time its large passenger jet C919 makes an international debut. You can see right behind me it is on loan from China Eastern Airlines. 
uh, they're not only on static display, but also joining a flying performance. The C919 single aisle first passenger jet is being positioned as China's answer to Boeing's 737, which has a series of safety and quality control issues, and to the Airbus A320, which has been plagued by delivery delays due to supply chain problems. This morning, on the first day of the Singapore Air Show, Comac and Tibet Airlines announced the finalization of an order for 40 C919 planes and 10 smaller ARJ21 regional jets. Separately, Comac signed another order uh, for the purchase of six ARJ21 planes with Henan Civil Aviation Development and Investment Group. Currently, the C919 is only certified in China and debuted last May with China Eastern Airlines. Internationally, Comac delivered its smaller ARJ21 to Indonesian carrier Transnusa in 2022. And this year at Singapore's airshow, that aircraft is also on display somewhere in this area. The aircraft is on loan from the airline to show good relationship between the customer and Comac. Aviation experts say it was a milestone for Comac to enter Indonesia, as it is the world's fourth largest aviation market. And going forward, Southeast Asia will be a crucial market for Comac's expansion and development. Comac chairman He Dongfeng said this morning that the company is working hard to acquire international certification, which experts say could take years to acquire from American and European regulators. Globally, the International Air Transport Association, or IATA, is expecting 4.7 billion people to travel this year, a historic high that is 4% above the 2019 pre-pandemic level. IATA expects the aviation industry to achieve a net profit of $25.7 billion this year, with record revenue as it recovers from major losses occurred during the pandemic. So there is a huge demand for commercial aircraft in the pipeline, and what Comac needs to do is to earn trust and build credibility. All right, Miro, many thanks for that report. Our Miro Lu live for us at the Singapore Air Show. Thank you very much. Well, underground utility tunnels form the cornerstone of creating livable, resilient and smart cities. Now, this year, China's Ministry of Housing and Urban Rural Development, along with multiple local governments, pledged to accelerate the construction of underground pipeline networks. Now, starting today, CGTN's Global Business launches a new series titled Smart Cities Start Underground, where our reporters delve into the comprehensive underground construction and management in cities across China to uncover the future trends in smart city development. Well, resilient cities are those that have the ability to absorb, to recover from, and prepare for future shocks in sectors including the economy and the environment. Now, in China, Beijing is the first city to incorporate the task of building a resilient city into its overall urban planning. Our reporter Xu Yi takes a closer look at its plans and discovers some secrets underneath the city's surface. This is not a science fiction movie. The robot serves as an inspector for the security of the underground pipeline system in Beijing. When considering underground pipelines in a city, you may invention a number of these pictures. But now, things are changing. 
Currently, there's a network of conduits in Beijing transporting gas, water, electricity, and other essential supplies across a vast expanse, totaling over 230,000 kilometers. This remarkable length is sufficient to encircle the Earth for nearly six times. And now, many of these vital pipelines are housed beneath the city surface. At a depth of about 10 meters underground in Tongzhou district of Beijing, the integrated pipe corridor is clean and tidy, brightly lit, and all kinds of pipelines are in perfect order. Staff can use handheld mobile terminals to check security data and maintenance. Our underground pipe gallery is what we commonly call the lifeline of the city. This tank we are in now is where we stock water and communication lines. This is one of the recycled water pipeline. The wall space on both sides will be gradually stored with communication cables. At present, Beijing Subcity Center has built a total of 60 underground integrated pipelines, with a total length of over 67 kilometers, which will supply the whole city. If we say the underground integrated pipeline system is like the main archery, and this is the brain for the whole area. Now we carry out real-time monitoring and management through the intelligent operation and maintenance system of the underground pipeline corridor using big data cloud computing AI techs. And our robot inspector will be used in the future using these digital means is to carry out three-dimensional management of the underground pipeline and help establish a three-dimensional database of the city. The full use of underground space is essential for establishing the smart, safe and resilient city. We can imagine that there are more things including a logistics warehouse that will be put into the underground gallery to build a resilient city. To achieve that goal, an underground sewage treatment is also a key part for the whole system. In one of the biggest recycled water treatment plants in Beijing, 100% of the wastewater is reclaimed, which helps to save 65 million tons of tap water and reduce carbon emissions by 7,000 tons every year for the Beijing subsidy center. Against the backdrop of a relative water shortage in northern cities, how we use recycled water as the second water source of the city is crucial for the green development of the subcenter. This is a bottle of sanitary sewage, and this bottle of water is high-quality reclaimed water after our treatment. As the largest reclaimed water plant in Tongzhou district, we use pre-treatment, biochemical and advanced treatment to deal with reclaimed water resources. The high-quality reclaimed water can be used not only for industrial cooling water and municipal watering water, but also for the landscape water, the irrigation of urban Greenheart Park, and the ecological water replenishment of river channels, which greatly contributes to the construction and development of the subcenter cultural ecological environment. Modernized city underground system also boosts the area's tourism industries, including the Universal Beijing Resort, which is using the recycled water from Bishui water plant and supplied by the pipeline system of Beijing Subcity Center. At present, this invisible urban evolution has opened the curtain, and this underground network will be woven more and more densely to help urban renewal and construction. And now, we have one foot in the future. Xu Yi, CGTN, Beijing. And with that, we're going to wrap up this edition of Global Business here on CGTN. I'm Michael Wong here in Beijing. Thanks for joining us.